lifting up of the Son of Man. Uh, let me just say, as we go through 2021, I don't know what I'm going to preach on, and I won't know till I get here. So, okay, is that all right? That's what's going to happen. I keep trying to get to the Great Awakening. We'll squeeze some stuff in there from time to time. I may get to it, but uh, my heart has, has, has gone elsewhere. Um, frankly, my daughter was speaking to me on the phone Friday night. And when, when God illuminates a word in my heart, all bets are off. Man, I'm going after that, okay? All bets are off. And uh, John chapter three, I mean, it's the, if you're, if you're in my generation, John three is like the passage you know and you think you know and, and uh, it's being born again, right? And uh, it's interesting because this generation has not heard the message of born again like we did. There were two things that you could count on in the 70s and 80s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and I guess even beyond, but that you could absolutely count on. You were gonna be, you were gonna, somebody was gonna talk to you about being born again, and they were gonna talk to you about the authority of the Bible. And you were gonna hear that over and over and over and over. And uh, more likely in this church, you're gonna hear about the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're gonna hear about the anointing. Well, uh, sometimes, you know, God just does these things. He changes themes. But the theme we're going to look at this morning is the lifting up of the Son of Man in John chapter 3. And our particular emphasis is verse 14, but it'll take us a minute to get there because we're going to take our time. John chapter 8 before I go to 3. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. When I say, Lord, raise up voices, I have something like that in mind. I want, I want voices in the land that make people go, I want to know what he's talking about. When the spirit of revival blows on a land, it's like that. You'll, you'll hear something and you'll lift up. You, I, I want to know. So he says, when you've lifted up the son of man, there will be echoes in their ears. The echo would be all the way from the prophet Isaiah, all the way from the 52, uh, 52nd chapter, all the way that suffering servant passage where this word lifted up speaks of the hallowing and the praising of this servant who will come. But Jesus has something else in mind when he speaks of his being lifted up. So much the Lord has, let's just right now, I think, I don't know, here it is. Mom's talking about going through her life. And I told you last Sunday that as, as, uh, as these guys were singing the songs of the Lord, I was taken back to those amazing times during the 70s. I didn't come into the kingdom in the 60s, but in the 70s where we would just sit in our circles 
and sing the songs of Jesus. We would turn scripture into song and we would, and we would sing it. And, and for the first time, kids with guitars got their guitars and, and, and uh, people, people got frustrated with, because you know, you know what was happening with guitars in the 60s. And sure enough, Christians said, well, we can do that too. We can play our guitars and sing our songs. And it was so sweet. It was so wonderful. And I'm taken back to that. And I'm thinking about what it was like when I went to first meet Jesus. So I'm going to go into this text, but listen, here's what happened. A voice spoke to us. Most of the time, it wasn't a preacher. Most of the time, it wasn't, it wasn't a person. There would come along a person who would speak, and we would go, that, this is that. That's what, but there would be a voice in our, in our spirit, in our mind, in our head, in our heart. And we wanted to know this is revival. And then someone would come, and first thing you know, we'd meet Jesus. We'd really, we'd really meet him. See? I never have spent much time being frustrated by the people who try to parse and analyze Jesus because I met him. <laughs> Personal encounter and knowledge. And then we opened our Bible for the first time. And when we read it, after having heard his voice and encountered him, we would be frustrated and we would say to people, why didn't you ever tell us? Because up from the pages, there it would just come. It would just come. And we would, I remember Rebecca Pippert describing Jesus to some unbelievers. And, uh, and, and she said that as she was just would, read about Jesus to these unbelievers, they would say, oh, Becky, he's so wonderful. See? This is why you want to get away from religion because it's opposite. And this is why no matter who we are, we fall in love with Jesus and then we, we get religious. We just do. We just do. And then he breathes on us again and we come back to life. So that's what I want 21 to be. When the one who is lifted up breathes on us. And yes, there's this ironic picture that we're gonna talk about this morning. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know your teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I like this. The book of John talks a lot about signs. This is the fourth time in the gospel of John that the word signs comes up. The first sign that Jesus did was turning the water to wine. And of course they liked him. <laughs> he turned it into the best wine. <laughs> I want some Jesus wine. <laughs> I want some this morning. Yeah. 
You know, in Nicodemus' head was all his knowledge. And one of the things that the Pharisees knew was that one day God was going to send a prophet. He'd be one like Moses. And one wonders as he says this, if, if Rabbi Nicodemus is musing to himself whether this one might be the prophet Moses promised. Hallelujah. Lord, give us prophets. Give us prophets that draw us to Jesus. Give us prophets, Lord. And Jesus just cut him up short. Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. <laughs> the kingdom of God. Every Pharisee certainly knew the kingdom of God. David had come. It was the zenith point of Israel's national life together. It was, it was, the, it was the moment of the greatest glory. Oh, I know Solomon did stuff, but he wasn't like David. And all the prophets, they didn't say, we're going to get one like Solomon. No, they all said, David's coming back. When David comes. And it meant the king and the kingdom was coming back. And, and they knew, they knew, they knew that, that as faithful Israelites, they had a place in the kingdom. And here Jesus says, you're never going to see the kingdom. Unless you're born again. This phrase born again is strange to us. Um, it's not commonly used in the Bible. And the, and the root of it is not readily apparent to us. Born another time. And, and Nicodemus, he does that wonderfully stupid thing. <laughs> How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? One hopes that he's asking an absurd question rhetorically. <laughs> but if you study John's gospel, this is one of the things you'll find. All the way through the gospel, people resort to these literal ideas of what they think they're reading. And it, and it, it always, it's got an absurdity to it. And Jesus uses that quite a bit. Born again. What does it mean? A man, a man, a man, a man. God, Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. Now, don't miss this, this little point. If you read the gospels, you hear about the kingdom of God all the time, but these are the only two references to kingdom of God in the gospel of John, right here, just pressed together, right here. He says, uh, unless you're born again, no kingdom. Unless you're born of water and spirit, no kingdom. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. There's a little double imagery going on here. There's the, you know, we always go physical, spiritual. And, um, and we tend to think that water and spirit was physical and spirit, but it wasn't really probably more likely, water and spirit was Jesus referencing Ezekiel's prophecy in the 36th chapter about being sprinkled with clean water and given a new heart. So don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. 
And you do know that Ezekiel's prophecy was about how a dead nation could be born again. How dry bones in the wilderness could receive flesh and receive spirit again, receive the breath again. And I've told you before, but don't miss it here, this word, this word wind, the wind blows, the wind blows <laughs> wherever it will. You hear the sound, you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. I think, listen, I want you to know that the, the prophets, both secular and sacred, back in the 60s and 70s, wrote their songs and wondered on these things. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. While we're asking the real questions of life. But this wonderful word wind can be spirit and it can be breath. So you really are a windbag. <laughs> As am I. <laughs> In New Mexico, I don't ever give a thought to the rain, but I always check the wind <laughs> as to whether I want to go out and how I want to be dressed when I walk. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound, you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. It's so beautiful. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. To be born of the Spirit means to be blown in the wind. And that's what I want. I want to go there again. I want to go there again like I did when I was young. I want to go there again with those first days when Jesus breathed his wonderful breath on me. And I would be walking across campus and I would think of somebody and I'd go, oh, I must go see them. I don't know why I'm here, but you're on my heart. I have lots of people that do that to me and they have appointments and it annoys me, but... When I read the Bible, I go, okay, they're forgiven. Blow wind. Blow again. We need the wind, Lord. We need wind-blown people. And Nicodemus isn't, I want you to know, I just want you to know, he's in a mess. The world is full of people who are earnestly seeking and they don't know exactly what they're seeking. And Nicodemus, a Pharisee, filled with stories, filled with ideas, filled with prophecies. He's hungry. He's seeking. He comes to Jesus at night, pursuing him, seeking out information. We know you came from God. Is there more we need to know? Oh, you bet you there is. And he starts to tell him things. And he goes, well, could you please speak a little plainer? How can these things be? And then Jesus really blessed him. You're a teacher and you don't know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I've taught long enough that I've said a lot of stupid things. <laughs> oh, and I've lived long enough that before long I'll be saying more stupid things. Uh, 
Are you a teacher? And you don't understand. And then he begins to speak this mysterious way. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and hear and witness to what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things, birth, water, wind, and you don't believe, how are you going to believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven. And this word ascended is only used three times in the gospel here. Once when he meets Nathaniel and here, and then when he ascends. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Remember that he was a, a child born and a son given. Remember that he spoke that mysterious, well, he speaks now the, the echo of the prophet Micah, the duality of this one who is both born and given. And intentionally, the prophet wants you to know he's one of us, but not. And then this word, which is where we'll plant ourselves. As Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. I still remember the first time I looked up that passage. Because, you know, I'm reading Jesus and I'm like, what's that Moses lifted in the wilderness serpent thing? What is that? And I was a little fascinated because, listen, haven't you, anybody ever been fascinated to go to the doctor and see a snake on a stick? <laughs> you wondered, is this a safe place? <laughs> Sometimes it's two snakes. Y'all like snakes? I like snakes. I like snakes, man, I do. Now, spiders, if I, I, will, I will jump out of my clothes if something starts crawling on me. I don't care who sees me naked if a, snake, if a spider is on me. I'm just gonna get away. That, I just ruined everybody. Everybody's, oh God, oh God. Oh God. Can't get this stuff just anywhere. But snakes, I'll be honest with you. When I, when I go on my walks, I, and I'm not smart enough to, about to know how, where to look, but I do look. I'm gonna find me some snakes, man. I wanna, I, wa I wanna watch them. I wanna see them. My neighbor called me across the street just before we moved away from our house. There was, there was a snake, man. I kept getting closer and she kept getting louder. <laughs> As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Numbers 21. From Mount Hor, they set out on the way to the Red Sea 
to go around the land of Edom. So the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food or water, and we loathe this worthless food. You know that stuff that was called, what is it? And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of Israel died. I wonder how many people reading their Bible go, okay, I'm done with this guy. I love the Bible. I love, it. I love its offensiveness and everything about it. It's a marvelous book. So here's this, this odd story. I'll be honest with you. When I read this, I didn't have any problem. I used to sit in my grandfather's back seat in the car. And I would be loud in the back seat, poking one of my sisters and being antsy and loud. And, and uh, then, then, you know, one of us would scream at the other one. And... My grandpa would always say, I'll give you something to scream about. And I read this passage and I said, he's a grandpa. <laughs> I give you something to whine about. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. We've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the serpents from us. So how many of you know that the serpent was, that this was a curse? And how many of you know that in Israel's long history, everything they know about snakes is curse talk? And how many of you know that, 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 there, that the encounter with the serpent in the Bible means a curse is coming? So it's curse language. And oh, by the way, how many of you know You're not supposed to be somebody who curses people. So Moses prayed and the people said to Moses, um, uh, no, and the Lord said to Moses, mine says fiery. Some translations say copper, some say bronze. You saw the image that I put up there. Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he looks to it, when he sees it, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he'd look at the bronze serpent and live. This is homeopathic medicine right here. <laughs> Ever since that time, anytime anybody's seen a snake, they got a pole. Now, go read the book of Numbers and you read this incident and then they just go on and you're like two pages back going, what is that, what is that, what is that, what is that, what is that? Because it's just this odd story. Well, the idea lived inside of Israel for a while. Hallelujah. Lord, I don't know what to do. Let me just give you this much of it. Moses is in a pickle and he cries out to God. I don't know what to do.
Nicodemus hears about Jesus and he comes to him at night. I don't think there's any question about it that, the, that, the, that we're being told that the cover of darkness was his shield. He doesn't know what to do. And I'll make you a promise right now. There's a whole bunch of you in this room facing stuff you don't know what to do. I'm having a lot of fun because after what I've said, everybody that talks to me says, what are you going to do? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> but after you've been following him for a long time, you just know it's okay. You know it's going to be good. You know if it isn't good, he's going to be with you. You know he's going to get you through it. You know he's going to get you home safe. This is the God we serve. This is the God I'm proclaiming to you. The one who gets us home safe. Hallelujah. There he is. He looks more like that when I see him. Hallelujah. Sorry, I just like it. That, that, one, that one I actually found. Oh, that one too. I'll stop. Don't worry, I'll stop. I'll stop. Just don't bring me a picture of a tarantula. <laughs> Y'all know the, the, the little book, The Wisdom of Solomon? It's not in your Protestant Bible, but it talks about this. And so it's a little commentary on Numbers 21. For when the terrible rage of the wild animals came upon your people, and when they were being destroyed by the bites of the writhing serpents, your wrath did not continue to the end. They were troubled for a little while as a warning and received a symbol of deliverance to remind them of your law's command. <clears throat> it's a wonderful passage. For the one who turned toward it was saved, not by the thing that it was beheld, but by you, the Savior of all. <laughs> oh, how much it is my privilege <clears throat> to say to you, Behold him today, and he will save you. Don't you miss Dr. Billy Graham? That man that had so much grace on him and so much favor on him, and people would gather to him. And I remember when it was my privilege in 1998 to be part of the festival that brought Franklin Graham. And I remember that midway into our planning of it, they said, Dr. Billy's coming. And in those days, everyone wondered every time he had a meeting whether this would be his last. <laughs> what days, what days. We were so excited. And he just came with a simple message. Look to Jesus and live. Whoever calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. You must be born again. Pray this prayer with me. <laughs> and we did, man, we did. Thousands did. Hundreds of thousands. And I used to be, when I was younger, I used to be a little scornful and I would say, you know, all those people aren't getting saved. And to be sure, probably some of those folks weren't getting saved. But you know what? Over the years, I kept running into ones that were. How did you get saved? Well, I was watching Billy Graham on TV. 
When he told me to pray, I did, and he touched me. Jesus touched me. And I've never been the same. Oh, Nicodemus, man, Nicodemus. Oh, Nicodemus. He's so drawn to Jesus. Oh, God, give us a church that looks like Jesus. <laughs> and then they messed up. Second Kings tells us that they, they took that bronze serpent and they preserved it. And people began to, and listen, you can understand it. Because listen, I'll make you promise. Anytime God does something, people think, well, let's repeat that and see if God will do it again. You've done it, I've done it, everybody's done it. Then God comes along and says, why don't you put that away? And why don't you be like these guys and look beyond it instead of looking to it? (laughs) So old Hezekiah, he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it and called it Nehushtan. In other words, they made an idol of it. And whether it's your experience or, or, or your favorite place or your favorite story, listen, you gotta get people beyond it to Jesus. And one of the hard things about doing this thing with Jesus is we keep talking to people about an experience that we can't cause them to have. We can only say, look yonder, look yonder, look there. Listen, let him speak to your heart. And there's this mystery. My old professor used to call it the journey of the one who is alone to the one who is alone. But then when you meet him, you're never alone again. Jesus Jesus, just the simple story of Jesus. That's how I want it to be. John 12, we come to this place again. Jesus says, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And by the way, Jesus did use this double entendre. He would say, he would speak about this thing, both being lifted up in a way that would make you go, what is he talking about? And both being glorified. Glorify your name. And the voice came from heaven, I've glorified it and will glorify it again. (laughs) Almost never does the audible voice of God, I think it's only three times after after Mount Sinai. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. I just think this is fantastic. God speaks and some people say, no, I just heard thunder. I mean, think about it. Others said an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. (laughs) Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this, and so you don't miss it. Because I'm like, I'm still in the place of glorified, praised, hallowed. 
And then John says, uh, he's, you know, he knew. Look, John wrote a gospel in which everything that was ever said, nobody understood. So here he gives them a note. He said this to show what kind of death he was gonna die. Ah. As Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, So what's going on with that? Can I tell you the truth? I do really remember. I, I've struggled with the Bible over my time. Haven't you struggled with the Bible? I mean, come on, you read the passage in Numbers and you go, what? And then you read Jesus say, oh, in case you wondered about that passage in Numbers, that's me. And then you go, I mean, you do. You go, Jesus is a serpent? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. What hour? The hour of darkness. When the thick darkness covered the earth. They came to get him in. And he said to them, this is your hour and the power of darkness. What shall I say? Save me from this hour. The law of God puts you under a curse. In the law of God, it says cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree. Anybody who knew about the story of the serpent in the wilderness would have known that it represented the curse. It represented the curse that they were under. I don't know that they would have understood the irony, but they, but they remember that in obedience, they were told, Look to this awful thing. Look to this one who brings this one who is the curse. Look, look at him. And if you look, you'll live. Remember what the Isaiah would say about Jesus as one from whom men hid their faces. No. Look. Look. And the Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. And the Bible that says, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, tells us that Jesus was lifted up and became a curse for us. You must be born again. 
How? Through the one who took flesh, went into death, and killed it. Because the cross of Jesus Christ is the death of death, even as the impaling of the serpent was the death of the serpent so that the people could live. The message of the gospel has always been Resurrection life comes out of death because the one who had a power of a life that could not be destroyed even by your sin is the one in whom we've trusted. (laughs) Look to him. Are you kidding me? Run to him. Run to him. And old Nicodemus, man, Nicodemus, are you kidding me? He's one of my favorite people. (laughs) Oh, Nicodemus. Just for a minute, think with me. Because if you study Nicodemus, he's mentioned like five times in the the book of John. And one of the times, um, he's like defending Jesus to to the Sanhedrin. He was a ruler of the Jews. This means he was one that sat on the ruling council. This means that he would have been an eyewitness to the trials that Jesus went through. He would have been an eyewitness on that night and he would have been an eyewitness on that day. What day? The day that they nailed him to a tree and the day that they lifted him up and set him in place. Man, every time I think about it, I wonder, is that when Nicodemus knew? Is that when he knew? He'd been through the, the battle with the, the battle in the crowd. Is that when he went? Is that when he went? If I, is that when he heard the words again in his mind? If I be lifted up, as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, whom the Son of Man must be lifted up. And he got it. Oh man. <laughs> I want to have a cigar with Nicodemus. (laughs) Jesus, thank you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever looks to him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. People ask me this all the time. You think he's the only one that can save us? And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light. You can tell it by their deeds. Hallelujah. Let's receive him. Might we? Let's receive him. In the days of the Great Awakening, in fact, there was a great controversy and I've, I've entered into this controversy without knowing it. In the days before the Great Awakening, Reverend Stoddard, who 
was the was the grandfather of Jonathan Edwards and was the pastor of the church that Jonathan Edwards would later pastor. <clears throat> he used to say that the communion time was the time of the, of the invitation to receive Christ. And so quite naturally, he invited anyone, as, as I have done, for these years that we have been a church. I've been in so many religious traditions where there were qualifications for coming to the table of the Lord. There's the, only, the only qualification is your willingness. But you need to know what you're being willing to do. My mother, by the way, would always, you know, she always cooked for such a crowd. We had a big family. And my mama would always say, whoever puts their feet under my table there in my family for that day. She understood the real nature of hospitality and of the family meal. But we do have to tell people to know this. This is not just a piece of bread. This is a piece of bread given to us by the one who said, eat my flesh. This is the one who said he was the bread of life. And we look beyond, like the serpent on the pole, we look beyond the offense of being invited to eat his flesh to the hunger for bread, true bread. And he invites you to eat. So this is Jesus. We're not talking about any meal. So let us give thanks and eat the bread of life. Father, thank you for the son whom we love and trust. Amen. It was just in the last year that I got this chalice. I think it was might have been the last time I went to a Christian bookstore. But I remember it. I saw it and I said, well, that would be good to have at weddings. And then COVID hit, and we started receiving the supper every time we meet. Because we made the main thing the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. And yes, we're very strange in this Christian family. We drink his blood. Because we know we receive his life. And I need him. I need him. So Jesus, thank you for the blood of the covenant that makes us your family. Amen. Did you stand? Hallelujah. Almost done. When, over the years when Jonathan Edwards, when he became the pastor of his grandfather's church. If you remember, he began to talk to people about the nature of, of being born again. His language was the old covenant Calvinist language of regeneration. He was asking them if they had, been, if they had a new heart. <clears throat> Once again, 
he was referencing Ezekiel, where Ezekiel said that the day would come when God would give them a new heart. And so he would question them very strongly about whether they had received a new heart. And what happened was a tragedy hit in the community, a couple of tragedies. And it made the young people begin to wonder whether they knew the Lord and whether they were safe when they died. And Edwards began to preach to them. Oh, please don't hear the one sermon that you've heard of Jonathan Edwards about sinners in the hands of the angry God and misjudge him because you don't know him. He was the minister of the love of God. and He was passionate. He was amazing. And guess what? God poured his spirit out on him and blessed him. And what happened was a revival came among those young people because that's what God does. <laughs> he uses green wood instead of dry <laughs> to build his fires. And a great outpouring of Holy Spirit came. I want to close the story because I want to go on to ministry because it's an odd thing. I want to, it's just an odd thing. So Jonathan Edwards, because he saw the work of the Spirit come through the breaking of the Scriptures, and he saw the young people converted dramatically, experientially, and he had not seen that kind of thing come through the communion. So old Edwards, this really happened. He stopped using the communion as a means to coming to Christ and insisted on the evidence of a new heart before you could come to the communion. And one of those ironies of history, his church fired him. You probably never heard that part about old Jonathan Edwards. A few years before his died, he died, his church fired him. <laughs> History's a wonderful thing because you can look back and as you look back on things, you kind of, you kind of, you can, you can get rid of the dust because the gold shines. And you go, that's what I was looking for. Lord, pour out your spirit today on anyone who needs you, anyone who needs a touch. So if you need a touch from God, would you come forward and let us pray for you? That's a, that's a starting place. Just Come. If you, if you need a touch and if you have any question at all as to whether your heart has been made new, regenerated, born again, if you have any question about that in your life, you need to come forward. We want to pray for you.